Good evening, and thank you for joining us for Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I am your host, Charlene Pickram, the owner of Pick Empowerment, and you're tuned in to CIOE 97.5 Community Radio. And on April 29th, I had Wayne Maxwell join me, and he had such a wealth of information to share. I asked him to do a double show. And so this is the second show that you're listening to this evening. And uh, just to give you a brief kind of rundown in case you missed the show on April 29th, um, Wayne has a background with the Royal Canadian Navy Reserve. Uh, He was a physical education teacher and director. He was involved with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Correctional Services, the Atlantic Police Academy in the Justice Institute of Canada, and he has his own business, Crycon Consultants, Inc. And what does Crycon stand for, Wayne? Crycon stands for Crisis Conflict. Crisis Conflict. First three letters of each. Um, When I uh, retired... I was wondering just what uh, maybe, what should I do? And uh, even before I retired, I began to think and was getting requests to do training outside of my normal training. And when there wasn't conflict of interest, I would deliver that training with the mm. employer's awareness. Yes. So it's uh, an area that I've been interested in for a long time. Uh, which in, did involve uh, a cr- conflict and uh, would uh, conflict pr- frequently winds up in, in crises. Yes, exactly. And so without, I guess, mentioning specifically the different groups that you've worked with, can you list off some of the individuals that you have worked with over the year to help them with crisis and conflict? Oh, uh, gosh. First responders for short, firefighters, uh, corrections personnel, Mm -hmm. still involved uh, in support with uh, corrections operations. Uh, Interestingly, my my son has been trained in CISM, and he's on a Correctional Service Canada CISM team uh, right right now. Um, The hospitals Mm. uh, emerge especially. Um, banks, uh, especially with uh, robberies uh, and issues related to uh, frauds, uh, thefts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, businesses, when they are going through periods uh, of financial tightness, uh, financial uh, change, economic change, mm-hmm. Uh, when business may be uh, expanding quickly or shrinking or being refocused. Mm. So mm-hmm. it means that people may be laid off. Uh, people may have to be transferred to other parts if they're going to continue to work. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they, they may be laid off. There are so many people who leave organizations sometimes who are being harassed. Mm. And uh, they are missed in the whole process. Uh, they then may go through large periods of life where they keep thinking about this situation that they have experienced and it becomes uh, 
intrusive to their thinking. Yes. Uh, laying in bed at night and there's the information coming up. And the anger to an individual or individuals. And then feel guilty because you felt anger to those people who were your supervisors or your work colleagues. Yeah. Uh, been involved, uh, well, a recent explosion uh, with Irving in St. John at the refinery. I was in, involved mm -hmm. with uh, that situation from a, from a trauma perspective. Yeah. So uh, it, it's been it's been broad. Yes. Um, been involved involved with uh, air traffic controllers doing training uh, and flight crews with aircraft mm -hmm. as well. Mm. So, you know, we realize that trauma is the great human equalizer, that none of us are immune. Um, but what can, I guess, employees and employers do to assist individuals? So that, that proactive approach, how can... Let's look at employers first. How can employers assist their employees to stay mentally healthy, have that well-being? First of all, I think the employer must be aware of the types of stressors that the work they are involved with, the business they are involved with, mm -hmm. create in their staff. Yeah. Uh, where this is relatively new and is now this whole area of trauma and early interventions, uh, it's still not really well known except for first responders military. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that for short. Yeah. I'm talking to merge in hospitals. I'm talking about psychologists, some medical, any human services provider. Yeah is going to be exposed to traumatic events. and uh, But that goes much, much beyond. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably all work that you can think of, uh, even from working in a funeral home, mm. uh, dealing with death and uh, dying, uh, providing support, uh, living day-to-day, -day, uh, injuries on the job, motor vehicle accidents, uh, deaths of parents, mm. deaths of brothers and sisters, and if they're younger, or very much younger, or it's a sudden death, both those factors create more of an impact with uh, death and dying. Suicide. And uh, suicide. Many people don't want to think about or talk about death and dying. No. It's very uncomfortable for many of us to do so. But the more that we can uh, think about, talk about, and plan for death and dying, and I can say that the RCMP vets across the country have some of the most unique supportive packages in planning for death and dying mm. that uh, I'm aware of in the form of what should we prepare? How is this going to work? Where are my bank accounts? Mm. Do you know where they are? Do you know what my investments are? 
And many times, couples just aren't aware of that at all. Nope. So the planning that can take place in those areas and overcome or minimize some of the grief that takes place with death and dying can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. There have been widows, especially widows, and now we're going to see more widowers in the future. Yes. Who are going to be saying, and we, they have said to us in the past, thank you for putting this package together because without it I'd still be running around in circles wondering where everything is. Yeah. Since the death of my husband or... Yeah. Anyway, it's it has much broader applications. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody in living life who's going to be immune totally from trauma. Yes. Yeah. So what, though, can, I guess, we do to provide that resiliency what is it specifically because you know I think back to the correctional training uh, way back when in the early 90s um, and you know we we didn't talk about trauma we didn't talk about well what do you do when you come upon somebody who has completed suicide or who um, has been um, severely abused and you have to listen to that story and how do you process that we weren't provided any of that awareness or information I don't think a lot of the information was even known to many of us about trauma at that time yes although there has been a growing awareness and a desire to understand more as time has gone on. Today, uh, there is in many programs uh, with corrections, uh, social services oriented work, mm -hmm. uh, components that are in the programs mm -hmm. that uh, deal with uh, topics like assisting individuals in crisis. So you're assisting others, but you're also learning what's going on with myself. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's not only just assisting the individual. How do we recognize the point when it becomes necessary uh, to have discussion about getting to a therapist? Mm -hmm. And how do we overcome the subcultural idea, hey, we're good, that doesn't affect us, there's no way I'm going to be bothered by this. I had to go through all this special training, so I'm tough, I can handle it. Yeah. Well, well that is just not the reality. The person's not facing, facing reality if uh, they're looking at life in that way, because first responders, even though all the extra training, the military, law enforcement especially, mm-hmm, uh, when something's happened, you're impacted. Yes. If you're out behind a wood pile and somebody's shooting at you mm -hmm. with a rifle, thoughts are going through your mind, good God, what am I going to do? Or what if I get a bullet here? Is, are the rounds going to come through that wood and get me? Mm -hmm. That means trauma. Yeah. And that means very much difficulty for the officers who have to contend with that and recognize... Hey, I'm afraid. Yeah. Because 
fear is what you feel. And frequently the response to fear is anger. And when people are experiencing anger or expressing anger, I always assume if there's been a traumatic event mm -hmm. that the initial emotion that they experienced was fear. fear. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, is that we don't have control over that. That's our amygdala. It's an automatic right. response. Yeah. And, and again, that's something that people need to have that awareness of. That there are some things that we, we're human. We do not have control over everything. And our, our system is designed in a way to protect us. But in That's certain right. jobs, we put ourselves in places where we're not protected. Yes. Well, putting ourselves in uh, a place to be protected. Yes. There used to be the old uh, fight, flight. Freeze. But now, a uh, book out recently, e Extreme Fear. Mm -hmm. And the author of that, Jeff Wise, mentions four Fs. The first one is freeze. First thing that happens, and this comes back to doing police things and being in areas uh I'm saying the woods doing surveillance, and you hear something in the woods. The first thing you do is freeze. Mm -hmm. What is it? What's going on? Yeah. Then it may get to fright. F R E I G H T. Increased level of fear. Mm -hmm. And then it's flight. Can I run out of here in a hurry? Mm -hmm. Or it's fight. I got to fight my way out of here. Yeah. The four Fs. And that is talking about that and our responses bridges so many gaps for a lot of people ah that's how it's working mm -hmm. and if you hide the uh fear aspect to it the fright fright if you hide it then the opposite of that or the thing that comes along is the anger that i just mentioned yeah the secondary emotion sense? Yes. Okay, so I'm getting the wrap-up here from my producer. I get so involved sometimes. <laughs> so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation regarding our fight, flight, freeze, or what was the fourth one? Fight, flight, freeze. Freeze, fright, flight, fight. Fight. All right, so when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Mental Health. Let's talk about it. I'm Charlene Pickram, and we are talking with Wayne Maxwell. And just before the break, we were talking about freeze, fright, flight, and fight. And Wayne was giving us a further explanation. And so you had covered freeze and fright. What about flight and fight? Well, after fright or uh, that increase in fear uh, is there, then frequently the next step is, I need to get out of here. Mm. So, flight. Get out of it. Yeah. Uh, even you watch animals, they will stop, their ears will go up, and when they do stop, they freeze. Yes. They listen more. And then after that, you see them start flight. Yeah. Starting to flight. 
if they're cornered, then the next one is fight. Mm-hmm. Fight. So there are four Fs there. And they start off with freeze, fright, which is an increase in the fear level. Mm. And sometimes if the if you get stuck at that level, the fear, if a person's subculture, oh, you can't show fear, then anger comes out. Yeah. The next one, oh, I can get out here, then you take flight. Mm-hmm. No, I can't get out here, then you fight. Mm-hmm. And then after... I had another F, and that's find mummy. Find somebody you can talk to who understands, who you can listen to. And in, other, in a way, that's like our mummies when we were kids would cuddle us and look after us when we were upset. Yes. So that, to me, that last one goes a little bit beyond what Jeff Wise has written in his book, Extreme Fear. Mm-hmm. but it is a realistic uh, point to put in there. Mm. I, I really like that you um, brought to the forefront about anger. In many cases, anger is a secondary emotion because we don't know how to respond in an appropriate way to one of these things Mm -hmm. or something that is coming at us whether that's emotionally physically whatever um you know anger is a very much in our society as an acceptable emotion yes yes anger in in intervening in trauma situations and it's been only uh, a few days or hours since the event took place if there is anger, I most, all the time, all the time, not most mm-hmm. of the time, all the time, start wondering if the anger is the flip of fear. Mm-hmm. And my experience has been, if encountering people or in a group, but there's a lot of anger, that uh, it indeed it is a front for the subculture if you're being macho, it's better to be angry than fearful. Yes. And it goes along with the subculture of first responders, of military, mm-hmm. of uh, paramedics, of emergency room people, uh, to be tough. Tough, yeah. Not have fear, not have upset, not have sorrow. I can face anything. Nothing's right. going to take me down. Yes. As soon as that attitude is there then uh, you, you, you must be looking at and interpreting this possibly as a subcultural factor mm-hmm. that will increase the level of trauma for those people who are experiencing the fear rather than saying, are experiencing the fear and going to anger yes. rather than just saying, hey, yeah, I was scared. I was scared to death. I, I want to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so for me, you know, when... People are responding with anger. I go to that they're experiencing some kind of pain. Yes. Um, and so for me, I, I repeat to myself, their behavior is coming from a place of pain. Yes. So I don't personalize it. Yeah. And that has been kind of one of my mantras to help me emotionally. Yeah. Um, 
And the other thing that, you know, you talk about is the culture. Culture is so important to letting individual employees know what is acceptable and what is okay. Mm-hmm. And so how do we address that? Because, you know, I'm thinking about in individuals who have been grandfathered in um, because they don't have the current training, and then you have new people coming in who have the trauma-informed um, information and awareness but that culture exists where we are tough suck it up we don't cry here da 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 mm-hmm. how do we get the message across to individuals from older generations that things have changed i i think one of the key things to uh consider there is that if a person has sensations that are different, uh, sensations, thoughts, or feelings that they have not had before, uh, that they cannot describe or label, mm. uh, like, I haven't felt this be- way before, what's, what's going on, is a question that I asked myself, uh, after an incident which was involved several years ago. Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? Um, I thought that that in that situation, and that's a key, what, mm-hmm. what's different, what's going on? Yes. And uh, I think that's key. That is a key set of experiences, indicators, signs, mm. that you may indeed be dealing with uh, trauma, psychological trauma, yeah, with critical incident stress. Uh, as our Canadian military says, you may be dealing with an occupational stress injury, and occupational stress injury is a hell of a lot easier in the military uh, uh, ethos type of thing mm-hmm. uh, than to say you feel fear. Mm-hmm. It's easier to say it's occupational stress injury than acute stress, oh, I don't have a disorder type of thing, which is a subcultural thing that's there. Yes. So that's the term occupational stress injury. So anything that summarizes what is experienced, what is being experienced, or says if you have not thought this way before, if you're experiencing feelings or sensations that you have not experienced before, the probability is increased big time, and you probably are experiencing trauma, traumatic mm-hmm. stress, critical incident stress. Yeah. So how do we get those individuals, particularly, you know, the older generations, to, you know, get help? Because, again, it's that mindset that I can handle this. I can do it. I've always done it before. Why should this be different? Yes, I've had the training, and all my friends can do it, and I can do it. That subcultural, I'm stronger than the average person, mm-hmm. value attitude that is there about self. Uh, I, I, one of the first things is early pre-training. Yes. And more and more people are learning in the military about occupational stress injuries, what they're all about. People are more aware. Uh, but then there's the subcultural issue 
if military or law enforcement or paramedics or corrections fire can go to a peer, they're going to talk much more readily. Mm-hmm. Training peers to support is critical. I like that. Research has shown that if peers exist who understand uh, traumatic stress, the early in, uh, impacts of traumatic stress, as acute stress, as DSM-5, mm-hmm. then the probability is increased significantly that if the peer suggests going to a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. a psychologist, that the person will follow up and go. Yeah. If that information is not out there beforehand, before the traumatic event happens, mm-hmm. then it makes the problem a hell of a lot more difficult to uh, address mm-hmm. because we've lived then in a subculture, if we're military or police or whatever, mm-hmm. and we just don't accept that other material. It's easier to get it in early training and understand what subcultures our attitudes and values in those subcultures will do to us. Yes. And that opens the door a little more to carry on and be more flexible in identifying, hey, I feel fear. I need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that relationship, having a real relationship with somebody else where there's trust and understanding of you know what our job is and that that person, it's almost like the other person gives you permission to be vulnerable. For sure. Yes. And and to... You trust them. Yeah. They have the same subcultural attitudes, values, knowledge, self-concepts about how they see themselves mm-hmm. and how they should behave. Yes. And that respect is there. Many, many times with first responders, the first people they're talking to with their upset are more senior people, more experienced people. Mm-hmm. And if those people are trained as peers, and that's what we're doing within the Fire Service Association of Nova Scotia with our yeah. system team. It's very much that type of concept that's being applied. Mm, yeah, and and we know the research, evidence-based research on peer support and peer training and just peer anything is so much more um, successful than just about any other form of support that is out there. Yes. I would make the assumption that uh, from a psychological perspective that in regardless what area a person may be working, that if a peer, a friend, a mutual friend, you trust and they have had the information, I don't care what the work is, then the probability is significantly greater, as I see it, although I've not seen the research done on it, Yes. that the person is going to follow up and be an awfully dot, better, more supportive, uh, better equipped to live life mm-hmm. if that type of information is, uh, is there. Uh, to me, that should be done even in high schools. Yes, I agree. Uh, with... Uh, I, I say that, and it reminds me of a motor vehicle accident that took place uh, when I was in high school, grade 12. Uh, three young classmates were going with one of their mothers to see their boyfriends play hockey. Mm. And they had a head-on collision, and one of the girls going to see her boyfriend uh, play hockey uh, died instantly as a result of a head snap and severance of the spinal 
cord in, in, in the vertebrae. She died instantly. Mm. Uh, and the, what we did after in mourning as uh, students, if we had had more information, uh, if her teacher had had more information as well, yeah. uh, we could have been going in a direction of handling that much better. Today, counselors are doing that more and more in schools. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the uh, need for even uh, people as young as uh, 15, 16 going to high school, a little block of information in a health program or an introductory psych program about trauma, Yes, uh, it would be relevant. We all deal with uh, death and dying in our lives, yeah. with our families and so forth. Yeah. So as we've talked about before in the series here, mm. that uh, information can be exceedingly helpful. Yeah, uh, definitely. Even with younger people. Yeah. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with May Wayne Maxwell about trauma. You're listening to Mental Health. Let's talk about it, and we'll be back in a moment. Thanks for staying tuned in to CIOE 97.5 FM, Mental Health, Let's Talk About It. I'm Charlene Pickram, and I have Wayne Maxwell in the studio with me this evening. And we've been talking about trauma. So, Wayne, how about providing a little information to our listeners about the early indicators of trauma? Sure, could certainly do that. And um, thinking about referring to uh, DSM-5, uh, which is a diagnostic manual put out by the American Psychiat Psychiatric Association. And in it, uh, the early uh, identifiers with acute stress disorder uh, are, are outlined there. Now there are other disorders that sometimes will come up. Uh, depression. Mm. Uh, increased levels of anxiety. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Phobias are some of the more common uh, disorders that uh, can be diagnosable that are uh, also there for treatment. Yeah. But if looking at and only referring to acute stress, some of the pre-factors the person should have experienced or directly experienced a traumatic event mm -hmm. that an average person would see as traumatic. Or they might have witnessed it in person Yes, with it happening to somebody else. And that gets into the responders. Yeah. When they're arriving on scene. Another one is learning that the event occurred to a close friend or family member. Yeah. That can be traumatizing. And another one is experiencing repeated or extreme exposure to adverse details about the event. Yeah. Uh, first responders. Um, picking up deceased people who have died. Police office re officers repeatedly exposed to child abuse types of situations. Yes. That type of situation has major, major impact. Now, after time passes, there are some areas where, for acute stress that uh, symptoms, signs, consistently occur. 
recurrent, involuntary, intrusive, distressing memories of mm. the event. Mm-hmm. Distressing dreams, the content, especially if children were involved. In fact, that reminds me of when I was only six years old in grade one, I went to a fire prevention week Saturday video and discussion about fire prevention. (laughs) And in that video, there was a shot of three children in a room. Their house was afire. There was light flashing under the door and smoke coming in under the door. After that, I would go home at night and lay down. And I remember I'm six years old now. Mm. And I remember frequently calling to mummy, mummy, my mother. And mum would say, yeah, it's okay, go to sleep. Mum never asked me why. Mm. One time she didn't answer me. And I broke down and started crying because mummy didn't answer. Mm-hmm. That type of information is recurrent and distressing dreams or content that come back to you Mm. when I'm going to bed and thinking about it. Dissociative relationships, flashbacks, reactions, dissociative reactions, recalling the event, prolonged psychological distress or marked reactions. Another is inexperience, an inability to experience positive emotions. Mm. All you're doing is having negative responses, negative ideas. I can relate to that one. Right on. That's a common one. Yeah. Altered sense of reality, one's surroundings, with one's surroundings. Seeing oneself from another's perspective, like being in a daze. Third person. Time slowing down, yes. Mm -hmm. Inability to remember. Another is avoiding distressing memories or thoughts. Mm. Uh, Avoiding external reminders. Some people will not go back to a spot where an incident occurred. Yes. I know even going back to RCMP experiences doing patrols, that even today I'll drive by certain areas and I will recall accidents and fatalities that took place at those situations. Yeah, I had a guest, uh, Dave Wilson, who uh, first responder and, um, you know, worked in his community, still lives in the community, and driving around. You know, those memories of attending to certain people, car accidents, different stuff, um, come up for him. Yes. It's a, they're constant triggers and yep. reminders. Yes. I've been amazed at going back into the area where I did police work that so much of that comes back. Yeah. Crisp, crisp, clear. Yes, yes, detail. Yeah. And then there are the arousal symptoms, sleep disturbance, difficulty falling asleep, irritable behavior, angry outbursts, Mm -hmm. being ticked off, really angry. What's going on here? Hypervigilance, taking the extra steps to make sure are we okay here? Are the doors locked? Nobody's going to be coming here, are they? Yeah. Problems of concentration. I can't think it through. I forget it. Or exaggerated startle response where somebody says, hey, and you jump three feet into the air just because they said, hey, exaggerated startle response. Oh, my God, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. 
Because your body is already in that fight flight. Right on. Now there's some of the uh, signs, the symptoms, the experiences that people would have mm -hmm. uh, if they are dealing with psychological trauma. And if they are, it's important to talk to a friend who understands what trauma is all about. And uh, if you can, if you find that it's recurring and continuing to go through the peer or to get in touch with somebody, a mental health professional that has specific training in trauma, that's mm -hmm. important too, because some psychologists may not have accented the detailed, in-depth study of psychological trauma. And uh, find somebody who has that specific area of expertise. Mm. And for me, one of the big things, Wayne, when I finally did reach out um, to get assistance was, uh, you know, I went through my employee assistance program the second time around. The first time my doctor, you know, it, it was, I was laid off or I was put on sick leave and I was sent to a psychiatrist. But it wasn't somebody I had picked. We didn't mesh totally, but they got me on the right track. The second time, I recognized that I, I still needed assistance. And uh, so when I called the EAP program, I asked them to specifically look for somebody who had child and youth care practitioner experience. Because I really needed a individual peer who could relate to the expectations that a child and youth care worker would go through 365 days of the year. We were an essential worker. Yes. And I don't think unless a person works in the field that they truly grasp the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual, all of those levels of impact. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The the, uh, the early part of any therapeutic relationship has got to go in a direction of developing safety and security for the person who's been traumatized. Yes. They must feel safe because there's a whole range of variables that if they're not feeling safe about saying whatever they would like to say related to the trauma, if they have doubts about the person in any way that they don't understand, the therapist, mm -hmm. then it interferes with the therapy. Yes. So the whole first component, maybe two or three sessions of therapy, are simply directed towards developing a relationship of safety and understanding. Yeah. Relationship of trust. And only then do you begin to get into maybe in more detail, understanding some of the specific things that are causing uh, upset uh, or issues for mm -hmm. oneself. Now, the other factor that comes to mind there is that frequently the people uh, from different subcultures, and let's take a police subculture, I've heard frequently from police personnel who would go to a psychologist and be saying, uh, Gee, they don't even know what I'm under what I'm talking about. They don't even understand. Why should yeah. I tell them? I can't tell them. I don't want to tell them. Yes. Uh, that is part of that safety uh, situation for the person who has been traumatized, mm -hmm. and it uh, is part of the subcultural awareness. Yep. Like the psychologist, the therapist must have uh, a deep awareness of subculture mm -hmm. of the people 
for whom they're providing therapy. Yeah. And, and I think that really falls on the employer as well. Yes. To vet individuals and have individuals kind of on standby for their employees yes. when a traumatic event occurs. Pre-identification of therapists who are sensitive already to the subculture. Yeah. And they may go along and do drive-alongs doing police work, or they may be at a fire hall and going on calls mm-hmm. with the firefighters. There's nothing that goes a greater distance than other regular serving members in those areas knowing, hey, this this person's with us. They've been out there. They They see what we're wading through. Yeah. So we're beginning or getting to a point where we don't have to go through all that beginning and get to know. We trust the person already. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just so essential, and and I don't always believe that employers have that true understanding of the difference that it makes to the employee to sit down and, and have that conversation and know what's going on. I share that point of view, and that goes beyond just first responders. Yes, it does. Yeah, and definitely. Just the example with... Uh, bank staff uh, with an armed robbery, uh, all are impacted. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'll want somebody who understands what's going on with the subculture with bank tellers as well, for example. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're going to take our final break. And when we come back, we're going to complete our conversation with Wayne. And I think we'll look at some of the... um, proactive strategies that you as individuals can implement in your life to assist you uh, cope with trauma. You're listening to Mental Health, Let's Talk About It. We'll be back in a moment. In the final segment of Mental Health, Let's Talk About It on CIOE 97.5 FM, I'm going to continue my conversation with Wayne Maxwell regarding trauma. And what we will discuss in the final segment is strategies that you as an individual may like to adopt adopt to help you overcome trauma because it's very likely that you will be exposed to some kind of trauma in your lifetime. So what can individuals do, Wayne, to you know, be proactive to help themselves, you know, build that resiliency so that they can overcome trauma? Uh, Probably the first really important step is to recognize the fact that through a lifetime we will have to deal with upsetting situations Mm -hmm. once in a while. Yeah, it's normal. It's a normal part of living. If the events are taking place with ourselves, we're experiencing it, or with our friends, or even if we see things on TV, Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be uh, impacting on us. We think about it after we have seen it on TV. And sometimes we can't get it out of our minds. Yeah. In fact, from my personal experiences, there are programs that I would prefer not to watch on TV. Mm-hmm. And I will change the channel. Uh, 
today in the world, even with things that we look at on TV, looking at international politics, international travel, uh, international exchanges, uh, more and more cross-cultural activities, and that all will be increasing over time. We're yeah. going to be traveling around the world more. Uh, people are going to be winding up speaking more languages because of the exposure to the other languages. Uh, the cross-cultural, the different cultures of the world are going to be uh, involved with uh, uh, contacts much more frequently. And sadly, in some cases, those, those conflicts wind up uh, with violence and rejection. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than taking a positive approach and recognize that as human beings we are uh, creating a world which is uh, more progressive, uh, we're moving more. So the, the dynamics are probably going to increase where the trauma is going to take place. Uh, when people come to our, our country, uh, the customs are different, the language is different, the spiritual beliefs are different. Mm. Uh, the clothing is different, the weather is different. <laughs> uh, people who come from warmer climates to our climate here, uh, gosh, they must have a tremendous challenge mm. to deal with uh, very much colder weather, with more snow. Some have never seen snow before. No, you're right. So all of those factors are there for uh, creating trauma. And we're going to see more cross-cultural trauma and with the generations, of, as I've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Awareness. It's not only the accident, the sudden death, uh, the fire, uh, the injuries. It's not only that. It's the cultural piece as well. Yes. It's the maturational piece, as we mentioned in one of the previous mm -hmm. sessions, mm -hmm. sections that are there. We must be aware of that and have an understanding about how uh, uh, acute stress, critical incident stress, occupational stress injury, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, has an impact on us. We feel different, we feel upset, we feel more stress. We think about something more. We wonder how come a government is doing that? How come he or she could say that under these circumstances? What are they thinking? Where are we going with this? Yeah. All of that means an awareness is really necessary in understanding not only the traditional things that we've looked at as trauma, but today we're looking at things much more widely because that's the nature of our world and that's what the nature of our future is going to be. I mm -hmm. think we have to really be aware of that and, and, and work towards accepting that, although it's hard for some to accept. Yes. The well, is there. Again, it's that, do they have the awareness? Without the awareness, it's very hard to, one, recognize, yep. let alone put in interventions That's right. to assist. And if you don't have a understanding of the culture that that individual may be coming from, it's very hard to put in respectful interventions or suggest interventions that are going to be um, accepted within that culture. Yes. And, and one thing I really loved what you said, Wayne, at the beginning about even TV shows and movies. So it, when I'm in the classroom and I'm trying to 
assist um, you know upcoming generations of workers to understand residential schools or the Mount Cashel or you know the different tragedies and traumas of our history. I really try not to expose them to movies that will bring on that secondary trauma. Yes, yes. And and I know most people say, well, you still need to educate. Well, you can provide documentaries, but you don't need to provide the visual. That's the visual stays with you. It stays with me. Rape mm -hmm. scene, you know, yeah. not rape scenes. Uh, sexual assaults. Yep. Yeah. You know, all of those things. Be mindful of what you're exposing yourself to. Yes. Your children to, your partner to. Um, not everybody can process those visuals the same way. That's right. That's right. That's very correct. Uh, the the you mentioned our our, our First Nations communities, mm. our Inu, our Indian people. Uh, there are whole cultures there, uh, which we have been insensitive to and mm -hmm. not aware of, which have created much of the decision-making over time with our ancestors, yeah. uh, which has created uh, more of a probability that serious traumatic events would take place. Mm -hmm. Much of what our First Nations people have experienced, you can look at, understand it more thoroughly, more clearly in terms of uh, intercultural, subcultural traumas. Yes. That's yeah, real. we never even talked about generational trauma. That's a we whole other not. show. Like that's right. Yeah. That's right, and uh, that that is uh, a very uh, much a reality, and it is consistent with knowing and understanding what trauma is, how it impacts us, traumatic stress, critical incident stress, occupational stress, injury. Keep mentioning those because there are different terms mm -hmm. that we uh, frequently use. Yes. Now, recognizing that is important uh, uh, and being aware of it. And then the issues related to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the differences that we sense. Yes. Uh, what mm -hmm. is that or how is that being caused? And then after that taking place, understanding who, who can I talk to? Mm -hmm. And if there is a peer, a friend, you're going to talk to that person first. Somebody you work with, if you're a firefighter, a paramedic, if you're a paramedic, mm -hmm. and you're usually talking to somebody who's more senior to you, more experienced. Yes. And then the link with the mental health professionals after that, uh, and the areas that in selecting a mental health professional and so forth mm -hmm. are so very, very critical. Um, that, in a nutshell, I think, is one of the preliminary awareness factors that we uh, must uh, make ourselves aware of mm -hmm. and sensitive to in order to understand and move forward and to prevent, as yeah. we're talking prevention. And the emotional intelligence. Yes. Taking the time, like you said, with the mindfulness, with the meditation, to really understand what is your body signaling to yes. you about, yep. and then how do you actually express that? Yeah. The, 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 the issue there frequently is one that you are experiencing something different. Something that is 
more tension, more in some muscle groups or, or, or uh, intrusive thinking, keep thinking about the same thing and, and having the same feeling. Uh, mm. Sometimes we don't understand it or, or, or put it together. If there are differences that are taking place and we have been exposed to events that could be impacting us, yeah, it's important that we be aware of uh, what those feelings may be because they may be indicators of... Uh, uh, being uh, uh, impacted by events that are upsetting, are stressful, mm -hmm. are traumatic, psychologically traumatic. Mm -hmm. And it's in the not recognizing, and then the subcultural uh, issues that are there, uh, like with first responders and firefighters yeah. and police and so forth, which I've mentioned. But we also have the I generation as well, the individual mm -hmm. generation. Yes. The children that are coming along now are very much more used to using their iPhones, mm -hmm. not in having direct conversation. Um, th their, their brains have been entirely differently rewired because uh, they're listening to or, or reading most of the time uh, what is being said or what's being communicated. Yeah. So you're not actually seeing a facial expression. All of the information that we would gain in direct conversation, mm. person being upset, a person handling uh, upset and then being in conflict with somebody else. Um, all of that information is something that uh, people in the younger individual generation uh, have really not developed those sensitivities to, those yeah. awareness to. Um, brain scans that have been done are showing that the brains are, are wired in entirely different ways yeah. with the I generation. And the generational gap there and trauma, as I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, are factors that we must be aware of and apply the trauma understanding to that situation as well. Yes, and there'll I, have to be some more evidence-based research with the I generation, obviously, and then we'll have to talk about that. That's ongoing. Yes. iGen, one of the books that has been written, has gone back using survey data that goes back 20 years or more, 25 maybe, where the same surveys have been done uh, every three or four years of people graduating from high school, going on college, university, going to work. And those same standard survey, that sur standard survey data has been changing mm. over the generations. Yeah. The reason we're getting the iGen or individual generation term now it's because a lot of the research is indicating that there's been significant changes with some of those variables mm -hmm. that have uh, been considered with the research over the years. Yeah. Uh, one of them is just driver's licenses. I'm, get, uh, I'm getting the cue. See, we could do a whole nother show, Wayne, you and I. There's no doubt, and maybe you'll have to come back. Um, but I want to thank you for, for once again joining us and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Look, it's been a pleasure to be with with you in doing this, and I do hope that uh, uh, it's been put forward in such a way that more people will understand it. Me too. And relate to it and take appropriate steps to live a happier, more fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Amen. So on behalf of myself and my producer, Georgina Fitzpatrick, we wish that you are well and be empowered. <laughs>